Can't wait for heaven. We're in our third in a series on heaven. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of moving into a brand new home or not, but one day, each of you, myself included, will be able to do just that. That home, it is a new body. There's a wonderful promise in God's Word that guarantees every child of God the wonderful promise that we're going to get a new house. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. In fact, let's all read it together, if you would, please, out loud. This is, you can read it from your own Bible, the King James Version, or we have it here. Let's all read it. Ready, begin. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Our eternal house. It's a new home, a new body. John Quincy Adams was one of America's greatest presidents, often not remembered. He was a conservative, he was a constitutionalist, and he was a genuine believer, fluent, very brilliant man, fluent in Latin and Greek, translated the Greek New Testament into English, an incredible man. When he was 80 years of age, someone asked him, how is John Quincy Adams today? Well, he said, John Quincy Adams is very well, thank you. But the house that he's living in is not doing so well. <laughs> it's quite dilapidated. As a matter of fact, I think I shall be moving into a new house very soon. That's pretty good insight, isn't it? A new house. Tim Pollock, who lives in this house, may be doing good, but sometimes the house is have some issues. Recently, I lost my shingles, and, uh, but maybe you have other issues yourself. We're going to get a new house. You know, it's amazing how things in heaven have such a different perspective. Perhaps you have heard about the rich man who was distressed. He was uh, told that he could take none of his riches to heaven. He pled with God, please, God, make me an exception. Finally, God said, okay, whatsoever, whatever you can fit into a garbage bag, you can bring it into heaven. And so that man thought of gold. He said, nothing is more valuable than gold. I'll put it in a bag and I'll take it to heaven with me. And so he joyfully went about accumulating gold and it came time for him to die. He went to the pearly gates, big garbage bag filled with gold in tow. When the angels questioned him about the bag, the man said, look, God said I could bring it. And when it was confirmed, they asked him, they said, well, what's inside the bag? The man proudly opened the bag to show its contents. The angels looked at each other in bewilderment. And then one of them asked the man, why did you bring pavement to heaven? <laughs> you know, the fact is that gold is a hot commodity here, but in heaven they walk on it. The fact is, uh, folks, uh, we have a heavenly home far different than the one we have here. Let's all bow for prayer, if you would, please. Father, we thank you 
for the perspective you give us about heaven. Now, Lord, I pray that today's message would be encouraging and both convicting, Lord, to all of us to remember true value. In Jesus' name, amen. I've enjoyed the series on heaven. I hope you have. We talked the first Sunday about the wonderful passage, one of the greatest passages on heaven in John chapter 14, where Jesus reminded us that heaven is a prepared place. It is a prepared place for a prepared people. He's going to heaven to make a mansion for us. Last week, we talked about Psalm 90. And the fact is, we can't think about heaven without embracing the reality of death. And so, wise, white-haired, old Moses said, God has declared that our days are basically 70 or 80 years. Now, that doesn't mean we're over the hills because we're in our 70s and 80s. In fact, uniquely, God called Moses when he was 80. Just because we're 80 doesn't mean God doesn't have a calling on our life and a plan for our life. Just like Caleb was 85 and Joshua called on him and said, we got a job to do. The fact is, however, when we get to those ages, we must remember it is our chance to finish strong. And so today we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in these verses, God is putting forth a argument that was begun back in chapter 4 and basically stay courageous in the midst of the adversities of life. How can we? What uh, motivation do we have? And so that's really the outline of chapter 5. We're going to take just the first uh, eight verses. First of all, the believer's inspiration. What is it that inspires us to keep going? Well, let's read verse 1 together. Ready? Begin. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now our assurance from the word of God is that when this present life is ended, there's an incredible blessing just awaiting us. What is it? What is this blessing? What is this happiness? It is a new body. Notice what it says. It is built a building of God. Verse 1, a building or built, designed and built by God. A house reflects the craft of its builder. It suggests the design of its designer. The greatest uh, architect, perhaps, uh, of all time, at least in the modern centuries, Frank Lloyd Wright, known for his simple lines in his architecture, He's the one who designed the Guggenheim Museum. He is a tremendous designer, and yet, as great as he is, he absolutely pales next to the divine designer. God's design is incredible. Notice what it says. God's design is not like an earthly tabernacle. It is eternal. Have you ever thought about these buildings we build? I mean, the truth is we build them and they immediately begin to deteriorate. They just sit there and just kind of deteriorate. Now, Paul was a tent maker by trade, by family from the area of Cilicia. 
When he said the words, this tabernacle, he actually was talking about a tent. And being a tent maker, being one who was very familiar with tent, he had seen many a tent torn down, blown down, tattered, they leak, you name it. Tents are just not the best things in the world. And notice what he said. He said, if it's dissolved, now that Greek word there for the word dissolved actually means taking down a tent. And so God says, if he takes down your tent, that's our body, then God's given us a new body. He's got something new for us. The old, uh, older generation may remember Stuart Hamblin. If you've been around church for years, you've probably heard the old gospel song, This Old House. Stuart Hamblin was uh, a cowboy personality. He was a friend of Roy Rogers, also John Wayne and others. He was quite a rounder in his early days, but got converted, actually got saved. 1949 in a Billy Graham crusade. In fact, Billy Graham said that it was the, that was the one thing that turned around his, that shot him to stardom, really, if you want to use that term, was when Stuart Hamlin got saved. He was a great radio personality. Boy, he was quite a guy, but when he got saved, he got saved. He was an avid hunter. One day he was with one of his friends and he was out hunting in a backwoods area and came upon an old house, dilapidated, shingles blown off, window panes broken, the old front gate just hanging there. And then uh, when he got back, he, it, was, it inspired the words to the song, this old house, ain't it going to need no house any longer, ain't it going to need this house no more. Ain't got time to fix the shingles. Ain't got time to fix the floor. Ain't got time to oil the hinges nor mend the window pane. This old house is getting shaky. This old house is getting old. This old house lets in the rain. But he feel no fear or pain because he sees an angel peeking through the window pane. <laughs> the fact is, yeah, this old house is going to be gone. Many people are worried about death today. And I'm sure they were worried back then in Paul's time. And yet Paul said, honestly, he faced this concept of death with the complacency of just a tent going down. He said, tents go down all the time. He said, that's just what's going to happen when we die. What is this happiness? It is a new body. When is this happiness? Well, it happens immediately. Notice verse 1. It says, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, then we get a new body right then. As soon as our body is dissolved, which means taken down, God says we get a new body. Now, I'm not sure if it's the same body as our eternal body or if it's a temporary new body. But there are some thoughts of either one. The fact is, either one's going to be great. And the fact is, God is telling us that Christians can know this. It says we know it. We know this because we have God's promise that the stakes are going to be pulled up, the ropes are going to be loosened, God's going to let down that covering, and we're going to slip off into heaven. And we get a new house immediately. In fact, look what it says down further in verse 8. It says, we're confident rather to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent, present. I mean, it's like a door. You're, one minute you're outside, the next minute you're inside. God said you're 
absent from the Lord, then you're present with the Lord immediately. These uh, religious doctrines that remind us that, oh, you know, you're just, when you die, you just sleep. Others, secular world people think, oh, you know, when you die, you just, uh, you know, you're dead. That's it. You just turn to dust. The fact is, no, the Bible says very much so. We are absent and then present. Immediately we get this new body. We as a church and any born-again Christian talks a lot about salvation. And most of the time when we're referring to our salvation, we're referring to the fact of our soul. We are saved. We have a saved soul. But the fact of the matter is the salvation also affects the body. And that's why Jesus, when he would heal people, he said, because that the healing is in the atonement. It is in the blood. The fact is we get a new body as well. Salvation isn't just for the soul. It's for the body. We, had a, we get a glorious new body. Think about it. We're going to go into the grave with a wrinkled brow. We're going to go into the grave with all kinds of aches, and we're going to wake up in heaven, and we're going to have a new body. We're going to look in the mirror, and we're going to say, man, who is that movie star right there? We get a new body. An old man and his son visited the city. It had been decades since he'd been there. He was amazed by everything he saw but especially two shiny silver walls that would move apart and then slide back together again, an elevator. While the boy and his father were watching with amazement, an elderly lady with a cane came up. With great care, she walked up to the door. The moving walls opened up when she pressed a button. The walls opened. The lady shuffled as best she could in between those doors and into a small room when the walls closed back. The boy and the father watched as the numbers lit up and went up and then back down, and they began to reverse and uh, light up in reverse order. Finally, when the walls opened up again, a gorgeous 20-something-year-old young lady stepped out of that elevator. The father, not taking his eyes off of the woman, quietly said to his son, he hit his son, he said, son, go get mama. And uh, (laughs) that's what I call inspiration right there. That's the believer's inspiration. It's going to change. Our body changes. Not only are we going to get a new body, but the Bible says it is our aspiration. It is our desire, the thing that will motivate us. Look at verse 2. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Now the fact is there is a groaning which we all go through, a groaning of sadness. First of all, it says, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring. It is a sadness of groaning. Life's just not easy. Fact is, we go through life, and while we make, try to make the best of it, there are many heartaches, there are many burdens. Troubles seem to arise everywhere, if not just that, just the, the grieving that we feel as we see a, a world like it is today. The fact is, uh, it's easy to have groaning as we go through life, but God's working. God's doing something in all of it. A daughter was complaining to her father how hard things were. As soon as I solve one problem, she said, another problem comes up, and I'm just tired of the struggle. Her father, a chef, took her to the kitchen, filled three pots with water, turned them up on high, threw 
carrots into one pot, it turned to mush. Threw a couple of eggs into the other boiling pot of water, it turned hard and brittle. And then took some ground coffee beans and threw it into third. And pretty soon there was this big, wonderful pot of coffee and the rich aroma filled the kitchen. He said, sweetheart, he said, each of these three items faced the same heat of life and the burning of life. One turned to mush, one got hard, but the third, it just filled the water with its rich aroma. And he said, actually, that's what God's doing. You know, God's just taking us through tough times, but he's just brewing a good cup of coffee. We're going to enjoy it here, or we're going to enjoy it in heaven together. It is a groaning of sadness, but there's a purpose behind it. And that's what leads us to a groaning of eagerness. Notice what it says, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon, which our house, which is from heaven. Sometimes we think that our problems that we have will never end. Sometimes we imagine that the pain we feel will never end. If you've ever been in a really difficult season, or you've ever been in a lot of pain, and maybe even a doctor's told you it's never going to be much different, the fact is, the fact of that pain just weighs heavy on you. And we wonder about this, and we wonder if it's ever going to change, but God said, hallelujah, it will change. We're going to get a new body our heartaches, our pains, our tears. God said, these are all just ways to make us homesick for heaven. Pauline and I get the privilege of representing the church on these ambassador trips to the world, our missionaries around the world. It's a privilege. And, uh, and yet as wonderful as it is to go visit them and see the work that they're doing, I'm not a great traveler and I get homesick quick, really. But my wife always says, I know when, it's, when you're looking forward to going home, because you always order a hamburger. <laughs> and uh, I've had hamburgers in Australia, and hamburgers in Vanuatu, and hamburgers in Thailand. They put a little different things in each one of them. But uh, the fact is, you know, I do get homesick for heaven. I get homesick for earth, for sure. You know, I remember when I was a young man, I never, I never thought about dying, really. And certainly didn't want to die, wanted to get married, wanted to do something with my life. But I can tell you, and I couldn't, to, be, to say anything else would be to be lying. The fact is, I have an earnest desire to go to heaven. I mean, it is just, I long to go to heaven. It's not a, a bad longing. It's not like I'm ready to go on the next boat or anything. But I will tell you, I long for that. And I would hate to leave my precious wife, hate to leave all the wonderful children and grandchildren, all of you. I just have so many wonderful friends. But the fact is, there is a hunger in my heart. There is a longing, as Paul said. There is just this longing. Sometimes I'll be early in the morning just sitting there, and I'm thinking, I wonder what heaven is like. I wonder what the first second in heaven is like. And uh, I wonder what, I think to myself, I wonder what dad felt the minute he went to heaven, or precious Lynette. What did she feel like when she, that old weak body, I mean, just a moment. What is heaven going to be like? And when I start to think about it, I tell you one thing, I get an earnest desire. It's been said that death for the Christian is a fact to be faced, but it's certainly not a force to be feared. The truth is, as Christians, we are to be earnestly desiring heaven. 
I might suggest this morning, if you're not earnestly desiring heaven, is it because you're just too comfortable on earth? You know what? When pain starts uh, arriving, you might have a different feeling about it. The fact is, for a believer, heaven is something to earnestly desire. Now look at verse 3. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. It's simply saying that eternity, we're going to be clothed and not be naked. I will say amen to that. Hallelujah. I don't want to be naked in heaven. Well, for sure. No, what it's referring to is our body in that sense. We are not going to be bodiless spirits in heaven. We're not going to be just a bunch of little clouds floating around. No, God says we're going to have bodies. Now, the Greek philosophers of the day imagined that a bodiless spirit was the highest level of existence. It would solve all of humanity's problems if we didn't have all this flesh. But the problem isn't a body. It is the sin-corrupted, fallen world, depraved, sinful lives that we live. That's the fact. If a body was inherently evil, Jesus could have never taken on the form of man. That would have been God joining with sin. No, it's not that our bodies are sinful. It's just that we have sinful natures. Here's what Paul, expanding on it, says. Look at verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which we would be unclothed. In other words, he's saying, I have no desire to be unclothed. I have no, heaven doesn't interest me at all if I'm just going to float around as a spirit. You got to remember now, he's talking to these people who have been permeated in the Greek philosophy. They're thinking that when you die, you just float around. He said, no, I have no interest at all in that. I don't want to be unclothed. In fact, I want to be clothed in heaven. I want to have a body I want to have a resurrected body. I want to be clothed upon. In the medieval times, people sometimes would want to be, they were under such religious pressure. Sometimes people, when they would die, would request that they would be buried in a monk's clothing, a priest's clothing. Somehow they thought that if they wore the clothing of a priest, they might be closer to God when they die. They wanted to be clothed upon. But the fact is, our clothing that God gives is eternal in the heavens. Notice what it says. Mortality is swallowed up by life. Meaning our, uh, our temporal existence is swallowed up by eternal life. And this new body is not going to be subject to mortality. We're going to get a body that's no longer going to decay. It's no longer going to have problems. It's going to be a new body. I understand down in Florida, they're having a real problem with pythons. Not, uh, they're not, it's not their natural habitat, but they flourish down there, and they've been brought in other places, and many people are actually losing their small pets, cats, dogs, and, and some of the pythons are even big enough, they have actually swallowed small deers whole. Well, imagine this, that's what God is saying. It said that death comes along and this new life we have swallows up death. It's gone. That is our, that is our desire. That's our aspiration. My inspiration is a new body. My aspiration is that we're going to have this happen soon. 
Now my expectation. Look at verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given to us the earnest of the Spirit. Now how do we know this morning that the talk of heaven and songs about heaven and preaching about heaven and books about heaven, how do we know it's not just a bunch of sentimentality and fanciful thinking? How do we know it's not just some way that people in the past have tried to just say to make people feel better about their loved ones who died or whatever? Well, Paul said, let me give you two reasons why you can be sure that all this talk about heaven is not just a bunch of fairy tales. Number one, because of the plan of God. Notice what it says. Verse 5, God hath wrought us. God's plan is that he is making all this happen. He is, it is his eternal plan. That word wrought us is prepared us. God is preparing us. God is changing us. God is changing circumstances. God is getting us ready for heaven. There was a man that was in the midst of many painful trials. He decided to just get out of the house for a while and take a walk around the neighborhood. And he saw a construction crew that was at work on a very big, beautiful cathedral. He stood and watched as the stone craftsman would work on block after block. He could not see where that block would fit in. The church appeared to be finished to him. But he studied that craftsman carefully and who was methodically chipping away and trying to do what he could, a little precise pattern. Finally, he asked the craftsman, he said, why are you spending so much time chipping and shaping just that one little block? The craftsman pointed up there to the top of the nearly completed steeple and he said, I am shaping it down here so it will fit in up there. And you know, that's exactly what God is doing in the midst of our earthly trials. The message is clear. God is rotting, as the Greek word there is. God is doing a work. God is just changing us so that we'll fit in up there. How do we know that the trials and the troubles and all the issues and the adversities we go through, how do we know it's, uh, and, and this concept of heaven, how do we know it's not just some kind of fairy tale? Paul said, it is not only an eternal plan of God, but it is an internal pledge by the Holy Spirit. Look at the second thing, the plan of God, but also the pledge of God. How do I know I'm going to go to heaven? Because the Holy Spirit told me so. The Bible tells me so but also the Holy Spirit tells me so. It says, who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, what does earnest mean? The word earnest means down payment, deposit, or even guarantee. God guaranteed that I'm going to go to heaven because he placed the Holy Spirit inside of me. That's why, by the way, you can't ever lose your salvation because God won't send the Holy Spirit to hell. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Ephesians chapter 1 says, those that believe are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's in us. He is the earnest. He is the guarantee, the pledge of God. The Greek word there for earnest 
is an interesting Greek word. In the ancient word, the word Erebon describes a pledge. The ancient Greek word Erebon describes that of a pledge. But the new Greek, if you were to go to Greece today, the new Greek word Erebona means an engagement ring an engagement ring, a pledge that we're going to get married. And so, in fact, Jesus paid for in full for my new house, my new body. And as a pledge that I'm going to receive it someday, he placed the Holy Spirit inside of me, witnessing to me that I am, in fact, one of his. The Holy Spirit lives in me. That's what the Bible says. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 says, He that hath the Son hath the witness in himself. I love that little passage in the book of Romans where the Bible says that our spirit bears witness with the Spirit that we are the sons of God. Have you ever met somebody and within seconds you knew that they were a Christian? I mean, you hardly even heard them talk. I mean, it's nothing about their dress or Whatever, just like the Holy Spirit just told you. That's because the Holy Spirit in you is bearing witness with the Holy Spirit in them. They're just bearing witness. You get that sense. And uh, people say, I knew you were a Christian. I just knew it. Why was it? Did I look sick or something? You know, but no, there's just this wonderful fact that I just, it's just a witness. And that's what God says. It says, if you have Jesus, you have the witness. You have the Holy Spirit. And so how do I know that we're going to go to heaven someday if I'm a believer? I have the plan of God and I have the pledge of God. I have an eternal plan, but I have an internal pledge by the Spirit of God. You say, is it a feeling you have? No, it's way more than a feeling. It may result in a feeling, but it's not a feeling. If we depend in our life upon feelings, our Christian life is going to go up and down like this. And I always am worried about people who get excited about the Lord. And you can see they're very emotional about God. And I think since God saves us body, soul, and spirit, our emotions do go to the Lord. I get emotional about the Lord. But I know this much. If your Christianity is based on emotions only, it's not going to be but a few months until you're going to be in the pits. And you're going to begin to question things. That's why you've got to have some strong, you've got to have the Word of God, boy, just picking you up and You've got to have the eternal pledge of God, the Holy Spirit inside of you. The fact is, if you depend upon emotions, the assurance of your salvation will go up and down with how your gizzard feels. No, let's make sure that our salvation is based on the pledge of God and the eternal plan of God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is kind of like a little bit of heaven. A minute ago, Pastor Luke said, uh, isn't it wonderful to worship the Lord like this? He said, it's just like a little taste of heaven. And it's exactly true. That's theological as well as just something to think about this morning. It is wonderfully true. Yes, someone has called the Holy Spirit the bud of heaven. He's just a little sprout. My wife and I got the idea that we we're going to plant some California poppies out and behind our little place there, our little window where we can see them. And uh, so... We didn't know where you get those things, so we just bought little seeds. And she put them in a little, little container there, and those little guys, it's been only about less than two weeks, I think, and those little guys are just sprouting up. They're just a, 
They're just a little tiny bud, but I'm, we're excited. We're going to have these big, beautiful orange California poppies pretty soon. We're going to plant them out there and so the coyotes can eat them or whatever, but uh, we're going to have them for a while. Stupid rabbits. And uh, we're, I, 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 I cheer for the coyotes, I will tell you that for sure. And uh, I used to watch uh, Roadrunner and Coyote when I was growing up, and uh, I, I, I root for the coyote now. And uh, get rid of those rabbits. They eat all our flowers. You'd say, well, what is the Holy Spirit? What's he doing? He, the Holy Spirit is placing something inside of me. You see, that's the wonderful thing about Christianity. You know, people want to study and find out about God. And while that's good, study to show yourself approved, that's not going to do it. There are many people who know the Bible's backwards and forwards, but are absolute infidels. I mean, many, many seminaries today are just the breeding grounds of the most liberal, terrible thoughts. It's not because they don't study the Bible. They study the Bible backwards and forwards all day long. But you can't study the Bible without the Holy Spirit. He is the he is the internal pledge of God. You see, some truths are not readable or studyable. They're transferable. That's Remember what Paul said to Timothy? He said, stir up the gift that is in you by the laying on of hands. There is a gift. There is an impartation. Yes, there's the imputation of the, of the things of God upon our life and the righteousness of Christ, but there is an impartation of knowledge. It's just that I don't know what to tell you. I just can tell you that God, God has placed a witness in my spirit that heaven is true. You can go to the scientists and say, can you guarantee heaven is true? And the scientists will say, I, there's no way. I mean, we can measure things, we can, but we don't know if heaven's true. We go to the philosopher and, I mean, there's got to be a heaven, right? I mean, there's got to be more purpose to life than just living for a few years and dying. And the philosopher says, well, it makes philosophical sense, but they can't prove it. We go to the historian and say, well, there's got to be a heaven, Mr. Historian. Prove to us that there's a heaven. And certainly every culture has had some form of heaven in their teachings. And yet history can't prove there's a heaven. But the plan of God and the pledge of God does. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, folks, don't just base your eternity on what these Greek philosophers are saying or some scientists are saying. Your expectations should be based on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit inside of you. We have an inspiration. We have an aspiration. We have an expectation. And finally this morning, we have a condition, our eternal condition. Look at verse number six. When we come to terms with the fact that we are a pilgrim, things change. Verse 6. Let's read verse 6 together, would you? Ready, begin. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, when we come, terms, when we come to terms with the fact that we are temporal and yet eternal beings, then we, first of all, are comforted. Notice what the Bible says, we are while we are at home in the body, at home in the body, there is a 
comfort as we live in this body of ours that heaven is real. There is a comfort in this life that we live in that the, there's something better, there's something more. We have a connection. We're at home in the body, but we're connected at the same time to the Lord. We have that sense, there's a feeling that I'm not, this world is not my home. I don't fit in here. I've, I'm like a, a square peg in a round hole. I just don't fit in. And the more you read your Bible, the more you get close to the Lord, the more you feel like you don't fit in. I'm just, while I'm at home here, I don't feel like I'm really at home because I'm absent from the Lord. The fact is, folks, the most comforting thing in the world is the witness of the Bible and the witness of the Holy Spirit that heaven is coming. The comfort of God. I want you to think about the moment that you were the most comfortable in your whole life. Just think about it. What, what moment can you just remember right now that you feel like the most comfortable? Was it the moment maybe you got married or maybe the time that you got some special award or maybe some moment, some vacation or maybe eating some food you just really love or your family's all around you, they're happy or you feel good physically? Think about the most comfortable moment you've ever had. Now multiply that by 10,000 times. That is exactly what heaven is life, only it's like a million times more. There is such a comfort in knowing that whatever good life is, it's just going to get better. The comfort that God promises here. There are so many books today that are out describing what heaven might be like. And I will tell you this, any book that describes what heaven might be like that leads us to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and talks about the Bible and thinks about the things of God, I say amen to. But I will say this, any book, any thought, it doesn't even come close to what it really is. I mean, you could have the book that just describes heaven in the most crazy way. The fact is, it's probably 10,000 times even more crazy than we might imagine. Because heaven is just incredible. It is a place of comfort. And the thoughts of that, the, the fact that my home just comforts my soul. But it also makes me courageous. Not only does it make me comfortable, it makes me courageous. Notice what it says, willing rather to be absent from the body. He said, when you get a sense of your heavenly home, you would rather die. You're courageous about dying. Now, most people are not courageous about dying. They fear dying. We, it, death, for a Christian, death should never be something to fear. I mean, it's not like we ought to be running out and jumping in front of bullets or whatever, but the fact is we ought to realize, realize that Heaven is just something to be longed for. It is, makes us courageous. It makes us want to lay down our life for something that's way bigger than us. As I've heard said, and as Lynette said, don't, you can't scare me with heaven. I'm not scared of heaven, man. It's just something to desire. And so I'm willing rather to be absent from the body. Now, verse number 7 for we walk by faith and not by sight. God said, so when we have a view of heaven, we live life by faith. It, a view of heaven makes me live life by faith. It makes me just walk in faith. Now notice the word walk. It says we walk by faith. Now walking is not in itself some real exciting thing. It's not especially 
something we talk about, you know, I mean, we don't tell our folks, yeah, I, I walked today. No one ever tells about their walking. But the fact is, the mundane things of our faith are the things that interest God. You know, anybody can live for God on Sunday for an hour, but when we live for God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, when we walk by faith, someone said, can you preach a sermon by faith? Well, yeah, it takes faith to preach a sermon. I'll guarantee that. But it also takes faith to fix a car by faith. You see, we can sing by faith, but we also can cook by faith. Someone once asked a person, they said, if you were to know, a Christian, if you were to know you were going to die tomorrow, I mean, you knew that you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? 24 hours to live, what would you do? That person picked out their pocket calendar and said, well, at 12 o'clock, I'm going to lunch with John, and at 3 o'clock, I've got an appointment down at the car shop, and then uh, tonight, I have to go over to the church. And in the morning, I'm going to read my Bible. And then at 10 o'clock in the morning, i got to go to the dentist. The point being, you see, everything we do as a believer is to be spent by faith. It is a walk of faith. It's not the... God, when we get a sense of heaven, then we just say, you know what? Hallelujah. Whether I'm preaching, singing in church, or out there working, it makes no difference. I'm ready for heaven. It is just as spiritual to be out working on our car than it is to be in church because God is saying, you know what? It is the place. It makes us courageous. When It makes us walk by faith. When you know heaven's coming, it makes us live courageously. Then finally, it makes us live confidently. What does it do? It makes us live confident. Look at verse 8. Let's read that verse together. Ready? Begin. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, what happens to a believer when they die? Are we some spirit that just kind of floats around in the sky? You know, we may float here, or we may float around this, the universe someplace. No. The Bible says we are absent from the body and present with the Lord, but present with the Lord? Yes. But note, we are also present like the Lord. Notice what it says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Not only are we with the Lord, we are like the Lord. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Our conversation, that is our thoughts, our behavior, our attitudes, are in heaven. Whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, who will change our vile body. He's not, simply, he's not saying sinful. He's just simply saying it's, it's, not, uh, it's not the new body we have. That it might be fashioned like unto His glorious body. According to the working thereby, He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. One day the body of Tim Pollock is going to be fashioned just like Jesus. We're all going to be 33 years old and, and uh, we're going to have a body just like Jesus. And so I decided to look up this week, what kind of things did Jesus do in his resurrected body? 
that would give us a tip off, right? To be what my body is going to be like in heaven. Makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm going to be like Jesus, what did Jesus do in his resurrected body? Well, one time he, he went right through a wall somehow, some way, like the sun rays through a window. He just appeared in that room. And yet he had, he had substance to him because he said, Thomas, put your hand in here and touch my hands and touch my side. So he had substance, and yet he was able to pass through walls. That sounds like a blast. I mean, just like, it's like the original Star Trek right there. What else did he do? Well, he was able to disguise himself. People were talking to him on the road to Amaze, had no idea who he was, and that when he turned on the light, they, oh, it's Jesus. Another time, he ate breakfast. Hallelujah. He ate breakfast. He also ate fish. I know it was deep fried fish. I guarantee it right there. (laughs) Deep fried fish with some homemade French fries. You say, well, is that heaven? I'll tell you one thing. It's not going to be heaven if I'm not eating. I'll tell you one thing for sure. Look at Psalm 17 verse 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I'm going to see Jesus face to face and it's going to look like I'm looking in a mirror. That's me right there. The Bible says I'm going to not only be like Jesus, I'm going to be with Jesus right there in heaven. Unbelievable. Billy Graham told a story I want to use as a closing illustration He said a preacher once passed by a a shop It was no longer open for business. A sign was hung in the window that said, closed for alterations. The owner had closed the shop in order to remodel it. And after a period of time, he reopened business with many changes and many improvements. And that really is a picture for the death of a believer. We're... When we get ready to die, that sign just about ready to be hung up there. And when we die, just a sign says closed for alterations. Temporarily, we're just getting worked on. And then we're going to move into that glorified body. And that's what God says. We have this new, wonderful body. Absent from the Lord. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please?